You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Well, we've been on this journey through the book of Mark, and we've seen a lot of things. We've seen uh, Jesus, Mark has taken us through, uh, seeing Jesus heal a blind person, see Jesus feed thousands. We've seen Mark has shown us Jesus in teaching situations and miraculous situations in the midst of a storm. We've seen Jesus do a lot of things. And, and so today we are uh, following Jesus' path on the final week of his, of his life. And he's been teaching the past couple weeks in the temple, right? He's been in the temple and uh, there's been great crowds around him. There's been uh, teachers of the law, Pharisees and Herodians, Sadducees have come and all tried to trick him, tried to trap him, tried to find something to, to, to get him stuck on. And every time, not only does he not get stuck or tricked, he comes out on top somehow. He comes out looking wiser. and comes out amazing, these people. And so we've been following this, and so we've been in the temple, and now as Mark is transitioning us, he'll, he'll give us a cue that we are leaving the temple, and we're headed to the, the Mount of Olives. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 13 this morning. We're going to cover the whole chapter. And it's called the Olivet Discourse. And it's this time when Jesus is in the Mount of, Ol- in the Mount of Olives and he's teaching. And he's teaching uh, a select group of disciples that are, are trying to find a little deeper. Trying to, it's starting to click with them. All, this, all these predictions that Jesus has of his death and about the end times. And, and they want to know more. And so they come to him, and, and they begin to wonder what's going on. And I love this chapter because it's pretty special. It, <clears throat> if you think about it, Jesus is about to die. Two days from now, he's going to be hanging on a cross. And so he knows the end is coming, and he brings them around, and he says, let me tell you, and he wants to prepare these disciples for what's ahead. And, and you can picture, imagine you're at your deathbed, right? You only have a day or two left, and, and you want to bring those closest to you and tell them something. And so I would bring my kids and my wife in, and, and I'd be like, come, come closer, i got to tell you something. And, and, I, and I'd tell them I love them, and I'd tell them how much they mean to me, and, and I'd grab my kids' hands and say, I want you to know, no matter what anyone says, John Elway was the greatest quarterback of all time, right? And I'd make sure that that was like one of the last things they knew. Then I might tell them that I've hidden a treasure somewhere, and that way they'd have an adventure for their whole life. Ended with disappointment, but that's kind of life, right? And so I'd be preparing them. But also, I'd want to tell them. Like, if I could, I'd be like, hey, let me tell you. Here's the college you're going to go to, and here's the name of your spouse, and here's how many kids you're going to have. And here's what you're going to do for God's kingdom, and here's the job you're going to have, and and here's where you're going to live, and here's where you're going to end up retiring, and and when your grandkids come, this is what they're going to call you, Mammy and Pop Pop, and it's going to be awesome, and I want to tell them the future, but I don't have that ability. I'd want to tell them everything's going to be okay, and here's your, your life mapped out, but I can't. Jesus can. Like, this passage is incredible when you think about that. Jesus is telling them what's to come. And in this passage, you want to look through it with bifocals almost. That There's two parts that Jesus talked about, the immediate uh, situations which come to fruition, and then future uh, the return of Jesus. And so there's some things that we're looking at here that when Jesus is talking to the disciples are in the future for them, but for us are in the past. We're going to see that when Rome comes and destroys, destroys Jerusalem. But then there's things that Jesus is talking to the disciples about the future. That for us is still the future. So we have to look at this almost, this passage with bifocals to look at these two parts. 
And so the passage begins with Mark giving us a transition from where they've been for, for the past several weeks in our teaching in the temple and transitioning out. Verse 13 says, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. I, I found out some, some things, and so I don't know if we can bring up the lights a little bit, and, and I want to show you guys something. This is pretty neat. Dawson, would you stand up? Welcome. Dawson's back from Coast Guard Academy. We're very excited, and so thank you for serving. Uh, all right, so we need one, two, three, four. Kaylee, would you come and stand here? All right, hold that. All right, so the temple, it says in there, what massive stones. And so the disciples come out, and they're amazed by this. Would you stand and hold that? All right. Would you be able to come hold this? All right, hold it right, hold it up right there. Okay. Hold on. All right, and so they're, they're holding this. Now, if you guys would hold that up a little bit. So I want you guys to see how big this is. Look how big this square is, right? This is one block in the temple. One basic uh, foundational block, and then they had several blocks up, that, up from there. One block was 37 feet wide by 18 feet by 12 feet high. That's a, a million pounds for one of these stones. That was the foundation of the temple. All right, if you guys want to put that down, that was just for us to see. We can leave it, and they'll think there was a crime scene here later. Um, and so we, we have this idea that this is one foundational block, right? And so on top of that, this is the, the border of this temple. We often think of the temple, and you almost think of something small, something smaller like this church, but this thing was huge. In just the courtyard, there's 34 acres, the, the one block is a million pounds, is that big, and there's block on top of block on top of block, and they're all covered in gold and, and beautiful etchings, and it's an amazing, amazing thing to see. So the disciples come out, and they're with Jesus, and they're like, look at these massive stones, Jesus. Isn't this building amazing? And Jesus says, do you see all these great buildings? Jesus, replied Jesus, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. What a huge claim. Like you saw the side of these stones and they're sitting there thinking, how, how could anyone destroy this? Look how big these are. How could you topple those over? But the claim is even more than just a building. What he's saying is this center of their faith, this place where they meet God, this place that is the source for sacrifices, the source for prayer, would cease to exist. Just as shattering, is mind-blowing. The thing that this is going to tumble, we don't, what's that mean to our faith? What's that mean to the people of God? What's that mean to my relationship with Jesus, with God, if the temple's not here anymore? So this claim of Jesus is a huge deal. And so the disciples are walking with him, and, and they're finally starting to get it. Even just a couple chapters ago, he would make these predictions about the end times, and, and they missed it all together. But here, they picked up on something. Here they said, wait, wait, wait a second. How's that going to happen? And it says, as Jesus was sitting, which is the authoritative position as a teacher, on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the signs that they are about to be fulfilled? So you have the four that are finally starting to click, starting to come together for them. And they're wondering, Jesus, you talk about this destruction. When's that going to happen? 
Because this doesn't sound like a good thing. Sounds like the end times. And Jesus gives us opportunity to teach. Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming that I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Jesus warns them not to be deceived. There's going to come false messiahs. There's going to come people claiming to be the Son of God. Don't fall for that. And so he's telling this to the disciples, and Mark is writing this down, and Mark is presenting this to his congregation, this group of Roman Christians that are being persecuted and are hiding out in the catacombs are reading this. You and I are reading this, and Jesus is telling us, watch out for those false prophets, for watch out for the false messiahs. And, and there's the obvious ones like and then the Branch Davidian cult in, in Waco and, and Jim Jones cult in the Jonestown massacre. But also I think that there's false messiahs that we often turn to and we, we try to find. Messiah means the chosen one. And there's ones that, that society turns to, whether that's a, a political leader that, that'll save us or a celebrity or a social media influencer that that we turn to for all of our advice, for our wisdom, and for our teaching. He's saying, watch out for false teachers. And there's false teachers in the church. That's why it's so important for us to be in our scriptures, for not just to believe and listen to whatever I might say or Elliot or a pastor on TV or at another church. You got to check and make sure because there's false teachers in the church. Are, is what they're saying aligning with scripture? Is what they're preaching what the Bible says? There's so many churches out there talking about prosperity and to go from poor to prosperity. That's not the story we see in the book of Mark. We've been working through Mark this whole year, and, and I don't see anywhere that Jesus is making everyone rich. I don't see that. I see many times Jesus saying, it's going to be hard, but you're going to be saved. And so there's false teachers. Even in our churches, there's um, false teachers, false messiahs, and inanimate objects that sometimes we turn to. Or that's addictions and, and maybe it's turning to alcohol or, or pornography. Rather, it's turning to, to greed and, and just wanting more material things or more power. Maybe that false messiah is this relationship that you know isn't healthy, but you continue on in. That we're turning to these other false gods. And Jesus says, beware. Don't turn to those, but keep your watch out. Keep focused on me. He says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, and there always have been wars. And Jesus says it in a way that it's going to happen, that there are wars. But his focus is that not to get caught up in the wars or this other shoe that's going to drop, but focus on me. Focus on the fact that these must happen, he says, for him to come back. The whole focus of this conversation isn't on these end-time signs, isn't on these scary things. This focus is on our relationship with Jesus. And so he's telling the disciples here, hey, watch out. Don't get caught up in that other stuff. Don't get caught up in the wars. Don't get caught up in the bad times. Get caught up in me. Let me be the focus of your life. Jesus, if there's going to be wars and false teachers, what should we be doing? 
So you must be on your guard. You will be handled, handed over to local councils and flogged in synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must be preached first to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand what to say. Just say whatever is given to you, because it's not you, it's the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus is sharing this at the end of his life to these disciples that are going to go on and be the foundation of the church and go on and preach and teach, but go on and face persecution, even martyrdom. Mark is writing this story to people that are in the midst of this. They are Christian Roman, Roman Christians hiding out in the catacombs because if they go out, then their friends, their family might turn them in. And so they're under persecution and they're hiding out when they meet in secret. They're facing this very thing Jesus is talking about. Maybe some of you are facing your own form of persecution. Maybe a family member that constantly ridicules you for your foolish beliefs or that coworker that makes fun of, makes fun of you and your purity. Maybe it's the students that are constantly teasing you and, and pushing you to try to do something that you're not supposed to and that you feel convicted against. Maybe it's all these things, it's this idea of this persecution that he says, stand firm. It's going to come, but in the midst of this, no, it's not against you, it's for me. In the midst of this persecution, the, the church is going to explode. It's going to spread out and eventually reach the ends of the earth. This is what happens when, when the devil tries to put a, a cap on it. The church explodes and grows even more. And so he says, in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of all this, know that it's for me. And so he says, when, when you're presented with an opportunity to speak about me, don't worry, don't get caught up in what are you going to say. Know that the Holy Spirit will speak for you. I had an interview at a church in Colorado as I was leaving seminary, and, and the interview was for a youth ministry position. Sarah and I went out there, and the interview went great. They offered us a job at the end, and, and, they, told us, and they asked me, they said, hey, now that it's all done, uh, is there anything you were worried about when you came? I said, actually, I was worried you were going to ask me about the book of Revelation and what I thought. <laughs> and, they, and they all giggled and laughed, and they said, well, well, since you bring that up, what's your thoughts on the book of Revelation? I was like, ah. Oh. I fell for their little trick. And so uh, I was so caught up in that. Instead of just, just trusting the Holy Spirit, I was so worried that that question would come up. Instead of trusting what God had already, that God had laid on my heart, instead of perhaps being familiar with the scriptures, as we saw last week when Jesus was talking to the Sadducees, he says, do you not understand the scriptures? Do you not know the power of God? That needs to be our focus is to get into God's word and to understand it, to grasp it. Not to just to read it as a check mark, but to read it to try to apply to our lives. And if we do so when we're presented in those hard situations, the Holy Spirit would bring that up out of us, that we'd be able to defend Him, and that the disciples would be able to speak because the Holy Spirit is on their side. Jesus continues. But Jesus, what happens next? So brother will betray brother to death. And a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, 
Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetops go down or enter the house to take anything. Let, the, let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this does not take place in winter. Because those days, will, those days of distress, unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, he, he has chosen, uh, whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. This idea of the abomination that causes desolation is first mentioned in the book of Daniel. And Daniel is predicting something that would come in 168 B.C. Antiochus Epiphanes came and, and he raided Jerusalem and he came into the temple and he sacrificed a pig on the altar. A pig is an unclean animal and to the Jews, this is devastating. You couldn't imagine of anything more sacrilegious, more horrible than that. And so for all the Jews, they know about this, and they know about this prediction of Daniel, and they know that when this is fulfilled. And so Jesus says, this is coming again. This horrible moment is coming again. And it does in 70 AD, just a few, a few decades after Jesus' death. The Romans come, and they sweep into to Jerusalem, and they destroy the temple. As Jesus said, soon one day the temple, there will not be a stone standing left standing on top. You would have seen this giant massive stone and been like, how is that possible? But the Romans knocked them all down because they were trying to get the gold leaf off of the stones. So it was all flattened and destroyed. And so Jesus tells this, and he tells this warning, and the Christians have spread this news. In Mark's writings, and in the words that the disciples have said, they share this story about Jesus' Olivet Discourse. And they share this warning about the end times. And so this advice that he shares, hey, at, at, when you see the, this, these warning signs, flee, go out to the caves. It's better for that than to be, to be in the city. doesn't make sense. At this time, if there's a conflict, you flee into the city. If there's an enemy raiders, you want the protection of the wall, protection of the army that's there. And so the Christians heard this, and they went out to the caves and when the Romans came and took over Jerusalem, one, one Jewish historian estimates that over a million Jews were murdered during that raid. And the Christians who heeded Jesus' voice were saved. And so Jesus gives this warning, <coughs> gives this warning to them. And then we get to verse 13. It's the focal point of the chapter. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Imagine you're part of Mark's audience listening to this. Everyone will hate you because of me? Check. Your friends and family will hate you? Yeah. Your coworkers will hate you? Yep. People that you used to do life with that you thought there's nothing could come between us will hate you because of Jesus? Yeah. That's happening. And he gives this moment of encouragement, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And so Mark's audience hears this and goes, we can do this. We can stand firm and we'll be saved. And, and saved means eternity in heaven. Saved means salvation. 
For those that believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he died and rose again that for the forgiveness of our souls, those that have confessed and been baptized, being saved is eternity in heaven with Jesus. And so for Mark's audience, they hear this and know people hate us, but we will be saved. Jesus is there with his disciples, giving them a warning. Hey, people are going to hate you. And they do. They go out and preach. They go out and teach. They go out and spread the news. And they're all martyred and killed. Except for John, and he's exiled to an island. For you and I, this verse can be encouraging as well. They might hate us because of Jesus. They might mock you at your work or at your school or even in your home. But know that those who stand firm will be saved. And I love this, that Jesus has talked about the end times, and yet there are no ends into the times because we have eternity in heaven with Jesus because we are saved. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe him. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders and try to deceive if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days following the distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth, in the ends of the heavens. God has not forgotten them. It's a beautiful message that Jesus is telling them. That you are a chosen people and God has not forgotten. That in the midst of the hard times, in the midst of the struggles, the persecution, for the midst of the end times, God has not forgotten them. And so for these disciples, that's going to be encouragement that they're going to need. When they're being beaten, when they're being, facing persecution, they're not alone. For Mark's audience that's listening, that's facing persecution, they're not alone. They're not forgotten. For you and I, when we're facing hard times, when we're facing those moments where we just feel like, where are you, God? How is this happening, God? To know we're not alone. And so how do we react when we're in the midst of hard times, when those hit us? When we think that God's abandoned us, when we cry out, are you even here? Are you listening, God? Look what's going on around me. I've been trying my best to follow you, and my life is falling apart. Take note that we're not forgotten, that you are God's chosen people, and he is with us to the very ends of the days. This is his message to us. There's times that I'm sure the disciples were felt at moments alone, and maybe they recalled this. Jesus is still there with me. Times in Mark's audience, that crowd is, feels persecution. God's not forgetting us. There's times in our life that everything seems to be falling apart, that you just feel so alone. It's been an awful year. It's been an awful month, awful decade. I just feel, where is God? He hasn't forgotten you. You're his chosen people. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. 
As soon as the twigs get tender and the leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happen, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not certainly pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The Greek word for generation uh, can mean also race or stock or family. It's a word that Jesus has used several times when referring to the people of God. And so this idea that this generation will not pass away, this, this, this people of God will not end. As Jesus is talking to the disciples, the church has not been established yet. These guys are the ones that will go out and, and begin the church and Pentecost will come and thousands will add. And the message will go and spread throughout the region and, and through, through, the, through Samaria and Galilee and to the ends of the earth. And this is the people of God and this generation will continue on. This people of God will continue on and will continue strong until he returns. We are part of this prediction that Jesus is talking about. We are part of this, this chosen generation, this people of God, this family of Christians. And so when it comes to when will this all happen, when will these end times come, we see Jesus throughout this book of Mark, we've seen him doing amazing things that are acts of God, and we also see his human side where he needs to eat and he's tired and takes a nap. And here's a moment that we see the human side of Jesus that he says, I, I don't even know when this is going to happen. Only the Father knows as he shares that to the disciples. When will this happen, Jesus? So about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away, he, he leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and he tells one at the door to keep watch, therefore keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or midnight or in the morning. If he suddenly comes back, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, Watch. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. What he says to the disciples, he says to you and me, watch. Be on the lookout. Not be on the lookout for the end times, but be ready, living in a life that is spreading the gospel, living in a life that is bringing glory to the Lord. And when Mark's audience is listening to this and they find encouragement, what's that look like to be waiting for, to be on the watch out? It means to, to hold on. To know that we'll be saved, it means to find courage that we are chosen and not forgotten. For us, what, what does that look like to be on watch? What does that look like to, to be the servant ready for the master to come back? Jesus has been laying this out for us. If, if you just look at some of the points that he's shared in this temple setting in the chapter before, what's it look like to, to be ready? Remember, remember this, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's to give our life to him, to follow him with who we are. What's it mean? To be on the watch, it means to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbor as ourselves. Remember, Jesus had just shared this with the disciples. He had just shared this with the crowd and, and the religious leaders. What's it look like? 
to give their best in their relationship with God. Remember, he's talking to the Sadducees, and this is what it looks like to know and understand the truth and the power of Scripture. This is what it looks like for us to be on guard, to be living this out, to be a walking, living, breathing testimony of Jesus Christ and the change he has in our life. This is what it looks like for you and I, for the disciples, to be on guard, to watch. I was getting my haircut last week, and, and the barber knows that I'm a pastor, and so she'll often ask me different questions. And, and so she said, hey, I bet, I bet you're getting a lot of questions about the end times, aren't you? It's like, oh, I don't know, sometimes. And she said, well, I think, and she leans in, she goes, I think the end times are now. I said, oh, okay. And she proceeds to tell me, she's like, and she starts listing all these horrible things going on and wars and, and, and pandemic and, and this after that, after that, after that. And she, she says, I think, I think the end times are here. I think Jesus is coming back. She goes, what do you think? And, and she stops and she's waiting for an answer. And I said, you know, I think we're closer today than we've ever been to the end times. And she goes, that's true. And she moved on. And I was like, hey, that was an easy answer. And, and so she was good with that. But then she goes and tells me, she goes, well, I hope he's, Jesus is coming. I'm ready. I hope he comes today. And as I sat there in the chair, I just thought, I hope he doesn't. I'll be honest. I hope he doesn't come today because there are millions of people that don't know Jesus Christ. There's millions of people across this world, in, in other continents, in other towns. There's people in our neighborhoods and our jobs. There's people at our school, people living next door, perhaps people in your own home that don't know Jesus. And Jesus says, be on the watch. It could happen anytime. And that terrifies me because I think if it happened today, if it happened tomorrow, those non-believing people in my life, they're headed to hell. So what am I going to do about that? As we look at this chapter, and it's a chapter that some people could get caught up in and wondering, when's the end times? And is this going to happen? Is this a sign? And what's the mark of the beast? And blah, 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 blah. I think more importantly is to get focused on, are we ready? Are we living ready as a servant waiting for his master to come back? Have we given our life over to Christ? Are you willing to follow? Have you accepted him as your savior? And so that'd be the first question. And for many of you, the answer is yes. So the second question, and if the answer is not yes, then I want to encourage you, come talk to us. Come talk to me after service. Go to the prayer room. The Stallings are there. They'd love to talk to you about that. But if the answer is yes, then the next question is, who in your life isn't ready? Because as Jesus said, we don't know when that day will come, but he's coming. And there's someone in your life that God has put you in their path, whether a neighbor, family member, student, coworker, maybe just the person that you frequent at the restaurant, that God's put you in your life so they would come to know Jesus. Are we making sure that they're ready? If you'll pray with me. God, I pray that we can make sure that we are ready to follow you. And God, if there's someone here that's not ready, put a burden on their heart to come and talk to us, to accept Jesus, to accept you as your Savior. But God, there's many that are ready. And God, I pray right now that you put a burden on our heart for those who are not. 
that we would be able to come and bring you to them. God, that you would point us in a situation that we might be terrified of what to say. And Jesus told us the Holy Spirit will speak for us. Well, we might be scared, but God, you are there and you'll bring us through. God, there's someone in each of our lives that doesn't know you. And God, if you came today, that'd be a horrible devastation. This week, put it on our heart to go and share about you. Lord, we lift this up in your name.